Hi, everyone. Don Paul's Bits of Blather on weather, climate, and science. And as I always say before every episode, please, if you're enjoying this podcast, share. Word of mouth, word of keyboard is vital to growth for non-national figures such as myself. I know I'm pretty well near where I live, but maybe someone in Spokane never heard of me. Well, I want to bring you up to date on what we all need to know about COVID. Science has been evolving continuously since it first became known, at least secretly, at the end of January and in February, that this COVID pandemic would be a devastating pandemic. And things that weren't known to be true early on are now known to be true, such as other organ impacts through the immune system. And with the help of uh, Associated Press, who over the weekend did a great job in putting together a compendium on the newest elements of research, consensus research that's been peer-reviewed. Rather than the opinions of journalists, these points I'm going to be raising are those sought out from national experts in medicine and epidemiology, in particular vi virology. First of all, am I immune to the coronavirus once I've had it? The answer, unfortunately, is indefinite, yes and no. There's usually some immunity detected if an antibody test is done, but how much and for how long are still big, unanswered questions. There's some evidence that reinfection is unlikely for at least three months, even for people who had a mild case of COVID. Uh, that's what's been found in New York City research in the Mount Sinai Health System. So reinfection so far has been rare, but there is some growing evidence that the immunity from having been infected is impermanent. It's not like the mumps. Uh, there's more evidence that as time passes, uh, you can become reinfected. And so what should be assumed by someone who was stricken with this virus early on in the pandemic is you should should start to assume the worst and do what the rest of us all need to do in social distancing, wearing a mask, especially in indoor activities, staying away from crowds, uh, social distancing combined with good hygiene, washing the hands, using hand sanitizers. You should assume the worst because as time continues to pass, there is, as I said, some growth in evidence that the immunity from COVID is not permanent. Okay, one question that many have raised, including myself, is it safe to go to the gym during the pandemic? I've made my own decision being an older guy, nah, but that's just my opinion that's been actually supported by a number of medical professionals. I don't want to hurt the gymnasium business, but the risk of contagion indoors, even with some of the great precautions that gym staffers are taking, is still higher than outdoor activity or activity in your own home alone. Uh, Dr. Mary Beth Sexton, an infectious disease expert at Emory University's elite medical school, said there are some things if you're going to the gym that you have to keep in mind all the time. Stay the heck out of the locker room. She didn't phrase it that way. Bring your own water bottle. Continue using hand sanitizer repeatedly during your time in the gym to reduce risk. And uh, the CDC suggests checking in online rather than in person. So there, that little contact you have with someone uh, when you walk in the gym is then eliminated. Of course, gym staff uh, should be cleaning and are presumably trying to do a good job of wiping down with disinfectant all the equipment. But 
uh, in my mind and in the mind of some doctors, there's an awful lot of exhalation going on from people who were uh, not goofing off like I used to do in the gym, uh, huffing and puffing. Uh, even with a good mask, there still can be some virus particles getting out there. And so social distancing, if you go, is an absolute must. So Dr. Sexton says, if you can exercise by yourself outside, that's safer than being at the gym. For myself, I've chosen, at least in early autumn, to take power walks with powerful dog Molly or do bike riding when it's not really cold out and do my activity outdoor. Probably not nearly enough upper, upper body working, but doctors say, including Dr. Sexton, if you're working up a sweat, you're getting some meaningful exercise. Has the coronavirus mutated in a significant way? Most evidence uh, suggests there haven't been many important mutations, but there is growing evidence, not yet conclusive, that a specific mutation may be making it easier for the virus to be transmitted between people. That is not conclusive, but it's already been an incredibly infectious virus. Uh, Dr. Fauci said uh, just yesterday on 60 Minutes, one of the things that was shocking is that this already worst case scenario he saw early in the winter turned out to be even worse than that. Uh, he expected it to be extraordinarily infectious. It's turned out to be even more infectious. Okay, face masks. There should be no controversy about them, despite the fact that in certain sectors of our population, uh, mask madness continues. But who does a face mask really protect, me or others? Originally, it was thought you're being a good citizen and trying to cut down on contagion so that even if you're asymptomatic, your chances of infecting others would be sharply reduced as those chances are reduced by a mask. But now there is good evidence that the mask helps protect you from others uh, to you. So it's a two-way street. It appears the protection is still greater on exhalation than on inhalation. But there were quite a few articles early on in the pandemic that the mask was vital, but it wouldn't really help keep you from catching it, uh, inhaling. And now there is evidence, oh yes, to some extent it does. Does your employer have to say if a coworker has a virus? No, it's not a legal requirement. You have to hope that your employer managers are doing the right thing and letting the working staff know that someone has been infected, at least if there is a confined area where only certain numbers of people could have been exposed to let those people know. But uh, there's no strict legal liability in all 50 states that your boss has to tell you that someone at work had the virus. Uh, what should I look for in a hand sanitizer? Well, soap and water, as good as it gets, if you do at least 20 th thorough seconds of scrubbing all of your hands uh, thoroughly with soap and water. But if you're going to be using a hand sanitizer, alcohol, yes, but you don't want to use methanol or one propanol. No one's selling that as a hand sanitizer, but there are people making their own mixes. Well, those two types of alcohol, methanol and propanol, they're highly toxic. Oh, they'll kill the virus, but they could kill you too. So what you're looking for is 60% ethyl alcohol, 
or 70% isopropyl alcohol. And that will typically be mixed in with sterile distilled water, hydrogen peroxide, and glycerin. The glycerin to keep your skin a little more moist since the alcohol can be pretty, pretty, sorry, that's the worst Larry David I've ever heard. Pretty, pretty tough on the skin. Uh, can I use a face shield instead of a mask? Well, you can, but it won't do you any good. No, uh, the clear plastic barriers are absolutely not a substitute for masks because there's no research evidence that they keep an infected person from spreading viral droplets. And that's not likely to change, but that's the status of the research as of now. Uh, there are three still three types of coronavirus tests out there. The ones we're most familiar with, genetic tests with the swabs. Uh, for quite a while, they had a very high false negative rate, which was causing lots and lots of problems. The false negatives, there's still some, but not as many. So the genetic tests are getting better. You're not going to get your results right away. It takes hours of processing at a lab. So you won't get your results back for at least today. In some areas, the wait is longer than that. But in general, wait times are beginning to subside. There's also a handful of new rapid tests that only take 15 minutes on site. Uh, they're not worthless, but they are not as accurate as the genetic swab tests. There also are the saliva tests. The first one done at my alma mater, Rutgers, the saliva tests. These work pretty well, but they're not free. Uh, it, it lessens the risk of transmission to healthcare workers since you would deposit saliva into a vial and mail it. Um, and you get your results back within a couple of days. It's not as fast as the on-site tests but it's faster than the earlier swab tests. There are antigen tests, uh, still a lot unknown about them. They're just hitting the market. Experts are hoping they're going to expand testing and speed up the results. So far, they're known to be somewhat less accurate than the swab genetic tests, but they are cheaper, faster, and require less laboratory equipment. And they still require a nasal swab by a health professional. Um, then there are the antibody tests, which give you something of a history of what's happened to you. They're not useful to tell you if you're coming down with COVID, but if you've had COVID, uh, there are antibody tests which can detect the antibodies showing that you have had COVID. Uh, the rules on masks in schools obviously are uneven across the country. They should be insisted upon in all school systems and indoor settings for sure, and on buses. And uh, some governors just not doing a real good da good job with uh, lowering the hammer on public behavior and making sure that school systems are doing what they need to do. But a lot of school systems have said, I'm not waiting for the governor and are trying to do the right thing where they have reopened uh, schools. Still tremendous controversy as to uh, rates of infection with elementary schools. It appears that college level students have had much higher rates of infection and gone on to much more contagion than in elementary schools, but that's still in the works. How can I tell the difference between the flu and COVID-19? The problem is, even though the two viruses are totally dissimilar, COVID is a coronavirus, common cold is a coronavirus, and the flu virus is not a coronavirus. The problem is symptoms. The symptoms are so similar. Body aches, sometimes pretty severe, sore throat, fever, cough, shortness of breath, fatigue, and headaches are symptoms shared by both influenza and COVID. Uh, influenza is not the stomach flu. 
doctors and, and bacteriologists will tell you there's no such thing as the stomach flu. Flu is a, is a respiratory virus. But one of the big clues is if you're getting the flu, you will start to feel lousier more quickly in the first week. And barring complications, you should start to feel better by the second week. With COVID, it is very often the opposite. At first, you don't feel too bad. And then perhaps in weeks two and three, you go downhill quickly. That's the time to get on that phone quickly to your physician, your doctor, and find out what you need to do next to get tested and diagnosed. So basically, flu makes you feel terrible fast. COVID can be much slower. And if you start to feel terrible after you've had mild symptoms and you're into week two, that is a real warning sign. Remember, COVID-19 is more contagious than flu. Um, many people don't spread the virus to anyone, while a few spread it to many people. Super spreader events are the big problem. And of course, COVID has a higher mortality rate, no matter what any non-scientist political leader tries to tell you. Uh, there is not the slightest doubt of that. So we have numbers heading badly in the wrong direction in our country. Now they're heading in the wrong direction in many European countries that had been doing much better than the United States with their national leaders exhibiting much better leadership. But now quite a few uh, European countries opened up after things got better too quickly, opening, opening restaurants and bars, Spain, Italy. Uh, Italy had that disastrous outbreak in Northern Italy back in the early spring, and now they're suffering uh, real surges in super spreader events for the same reasons we've had many of them here. They just came later in the game because they were doing the right things and let up too quickly. Uh, coronavirus spread among children, not too much change there. Children under 10 are less likely than older kids to transmit the virus, but the idea that they can't transmit it is nonsense. They can, it's just at a much lower rate. The idea that they can't get a serious illness is also untrue. There are a small number of very young children who come down with very serious complications from COVID, even though the risk is certainly lower than amongst teenagers and young adults. Young adults coming down with more uh, organ impacts in the immune system, which were not known to occur back in February uh, when it was thought to be an awful respiratory virus, uh, the immune impacts from COVID were not yet known. And we've had Lots of young adults with strokes, organ failures, uh, blood clots, and often uh, found side effect in people in their 30s and 40s. Uh, if you have a friend who's had COVID or you have had COVID and you see blood spots under your skin and extremities, hands or, or feet, call the doctor right away. That's a sign something is going on. And clotting there uh, can also be going on elsewhere. And of course, you don't want that in the arteries and capillaries leading to the brain and the arteries leading uh, uh, from the heart. Uh, super spreader events, we know what they're about. Of course, the madness at political rallies, those are all super spreader events when people are packed together and so many of them are unmasked. Even when they're outdoors, when you're packed in together, the viral load in the air around the people is much higher. But what is more recently becoming clear is family gatherings can become super spreader events. Sweet 16 parties have resulted in, in a couple of cases of huge contagion, uh, outbreaks at bars, of course, even when there aren't that many people in there in restaurants. And uh, this is the year the CDC and Dr. Fauci 
had suggested this is the year not to have a big family blowout for Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday. Uh, just because their loved ones coming to your home doesn't make them any less likely to transmit the virus. Uh, so it's another awful side impact from this awful pandemic. Uh, we need to lay low this Thanksgiving and keep uh, your immediate family who, with whom you've already been exposed back and forth, keep it small. Uh, again, if it sounds like I'm giving orders, I'm not. I'm reading off a list of pointers from the epidemiologists. And uh, does the flu shot reduce COVID infection chances? Absolutely not. But on the other hand, you've already heard this by now, there's never been a year where it's as important to get your flu shot as this year, because the combination of flu and COVID increases the risk of mortality or super uh, serious impacts on your immune system. You would not want to get COVID in any case, but you certainly wouldn't want to get it if you're already getting complications from a flu infection. Uh, if you already have pneumonia or lungs that are not functioning well from the flu, and then you get COVID and you have a higher chance of getting it because you're immunocompromised, uh, that can be an absolute worst case scenario. So I know there are thousands of people who say, I never will get a flu shot. Don't do it this year. Make the exception. And if you're older like me, get the high test one. Your pharmacist or your or your MD will know which one to give you because they're going to know how old you are. Um, and again, while the worst case scenarios are far more common people in my demographic, they're not totally uncommon in young adults. So this bravado, oh, I'm, I'm 29 or I'm 33, I'm good. You're better off than I am, but uh, the rates of serious side effects have been significant amongst young adults as well. And the, uh, immunocompromised issues, cancer, chronic kidney disease, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, uh, and a, a compromised state from chemotherapy or a recent organ transplant, obesity, definitely a major comorbidity, serious heart disease, sickle cell disease, and type 2 diabetes. So that's about all of, I wanted to go through in this checklist. And all of the items I've listed uh, are based on what's now known as opposed to what was known in January. Uh, and this is going to keep changing, but there's not going to be a change as to how well masks work in terms of negativity. Um, that's still a key element for all of us. So please, as I used to say, and I'm old enough to remember Hill Street Blues, hey, let's be careful out there. Thanks for listening this far. And again, if you're enjoying this podcast, please share.